Hey, what's up, guys? Ryan Rosillo for the Ringer Dual Threat Podcast. And as we mentioned at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs, we're going to try to do some stuff here during the offseason. So we'll have draft coverage, free agency, a couple other surprises, but something that I've been very passionate about for a long time and something I'd like to even expand on. I love backup quarterback stories. I love to hear from guys that I've got to know at ESPN or just know living in different parts of the country and asking what happened, what went wrong, what happened is really probably one of the best questions you can ask anyone on any subject. But if you think about backup QBs, at some point, almost every one of these guys was the best guy in their town, maybe the top recruit, maybe the best guy in college uh, at the time they were playing, and then it just doesn't work out. And for some, it's bad fit. Sometimes it's bad coaching. Sometimes it's the team around him. And sometimes it's just that guy. And he's willing to admit, you know what? I just wasn't good enough. So that's what we're going to do now. It's a special edition of Dual Threat, the backup QBs. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka, part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition. Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. And another reminder from our friends at Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Yahoo Daily Fantasy coming out of the All-Star Weekend hot. Every day they're running a zero management fee basketball contest. That means Yahoo is making nothing on this contest and equals better odds for you to win. One in five people who play will at least double their entry fee. Tired of playing against people with 150 entries? Well, there's a limit of 10 entries per person, so don't miss these contests. Go to yahoo.com forward slash daily fantasy to play. Use promo code yahoo25 when you make your first deposit for $25 in free play. We're going to start our backup quarterback stories with Drew Henson. Some of you only know Drew Henson as a myth, uh, as a ghost, as maybe the guy that's working in the front office for the New York Yankees. At one time, looked like he was going to become an agent. But Drew Henson is a couple years younger than me, and he was that dude. He was a high school legend in baseball. He hit 70 home runs, drove in 290, and scored 259 runs, all national records in his Brighton career in high school. And before football recruiting ever really was a thing, at least the thing it is now, Tom Lemming, who was at CBS Sports, gave him a five-star grade, but also said that Drew Henson was one of the top 10 football players he had seen all year. He was the son of a college coach at major different programs. He was an offensive coordinator. There's a story about Drew, you know, being smaller his freshman year and then blowing up to like 6'2 and 225 and playing catch with his father and asking at 14 years old, hey, dad, how good do you think I can be? And the father's like, I actually think you can be pretty good. So as he runs through and starts setting all these records in both baseball and football, and everybody's trying to figure out where Drew Henson's going to go, there's a bunch of teams on the list. If you go back and look at it, it was like six teams, then it was down to three teams, and it was Florida State, it was Michigan, and it was Stanford. He wanted to go to those three schools because of a couple different reasons, academics, but also that he was going to be allowed to play both baseball and football, which is something he still wanted to do. And it looked like... If you go back and look at all this stuff like I did, it was going to be Florida State. But Florida State had another two-sport guy at quarterback named Chris Winkie, who had been recruited six years earlier, was going to go be the quarterback in Tallahassee, told Bobby Bowden, you know what, if I get first round, you know, I'll probably go baseball, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Winkie got first round money, 
told Bowden. Bowden made a promise to Winky and said, if you ever want to come back, we'll have your scholarship waiting for you in Tallahassee. This is happening at the same time Henson's basically getting ready to commit there. And so Henson's like, I'm out. Mark Richt at the time is going, what are we doing? Do we really want to bring Winky back? And Bowden says, hey, I made him a promise. And then Winky, it totally works out for. So another part of Michigan over Stanford was that Henson went, you know what? New Year's Day, that's where I want to play. I'm a Michigan guy. So it was Michigan. He commits to Lloyd Carr. And here's our conversation with Drew Henson. So you were on campus at Michigan as a freshman 98, right? And you didn't play um, really that much. And then your year was in 99, but you were drafted by the Yankees in 98, correct? Yes, I was drafted out of high school by the Yankees uh, in the third round. And over the summer, we were able to negotiate a contract that allowed me to essentially be an amateur in football and a professional in baseball. So I'd, I'd play the fall season and, and uh, go to spring ball. And then when school was out, I'd uh, report for the summer and then come back early August. So I can't imagine. I mean, I know everybody's probably said this like, oh, when I was 18, I was. And you, look, you're just different when you're a top baseball prospect, when you're a top football prospect. How awesome was that? Like, were your friends even jealous of the idea that you just go and try to play professional baseball after being on campus as a freshman at Ann Arbor? Yeah, I mean, I bought a lot of pizzas, put it that way. Um, <laughs> but no, it was great. I mean, compared to other summer jobs, uh, you know, I got to go and, and, and play for the Yankees in their system. And, you know, there were some unique situations, like during spring break, in the middle of spring football practice, I'd go down and have 10 days of spring training and come back. And uh, it was a constant, you know, scheduling uh, deal between the school, the team, uh, and then my academic studies. But uh, yeah, you're 18, 19 years old, and uh, I had the best of every world. There was always this conversation about Henson maybe taking Brady's job, but that wasn't really always the case. Henson did get his first action his freshman year. Number five, Michigan was on the road at number 22, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was putting on him, and Henson came in relief. His first action for the Wolverines. Third down and seven, and the throw complete. There's his first collegiate pass to be completed to Marcus Knight. Drew Henson gets Michigan a first down on that 17-yard throw. Michigan's trying to I've always felt like the Brady thing was maybe overstated. I don't know how you felt about it, but like when I was in Boston, everybody loves to embellish the stories and it was, oh, Drew Henson was taking Brady's job. That, that really wasn't the case. I mean, Brady played the majority of the snaps, but maybe there was a little bit of drama in that. How did you see that story from your perspective as this big recruit coming in? Well, I could understand it from the outside because I was local, just uh, you know, from just down the road in Brighton, um, and Tom hadn't yet started. You know, everybody knew he was a good prospect. They were just coming off the national title with Brian Greasy as the quarterback. Uh, but really, I mean, because of Michigan's profile, uh, I think I think that had something to do with it. But uh, you know, quarterback competition happens at every school, especially schools with uh, you know good prospects and and uh, you know lining up guy after guy. And so my freshman year, I ended up playing in eight or nine games as the backup. Uh, and then the second year, uh, you know, coming out of training camp, coaches felt like both guys deserved a chance to play, and and that's what we did for about seven weeks. And then you get into the stretch run, uh, and with a chance to win the Big Ten, and they you know they went with Tom uh, to try to go win this thing, and that's what they did. So uh, within the team. Uh, 
you know, Tom was a captain. He was an established leader. I was a second-year player trying to uh, trying to make my own mark. But at the end of the day, it was all about winning games. And and people from the outside, you know, tell Mom was a bigger story uh, as Tom's become what he is than necessarily what it had been during that time. Okay, so there there wasn't really any issue with you there in the first couple of years. Like, did you did you and Tom get along, or you know, was it? Was it anything where you felt like he was in your way, or you know, I mean, because obviously in '99, no. like it was you, the team had a really good year. Yeah, we did. We ended up uh, tying for the Big Ten and uh, beat Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Uh, so it was a really successful season. Um, you know, Tom was three years older than me, uh, and so when I came in as a freshman, you know, you look up to the guys in your position group and in your room, and uh, and so I really used him as a guy to learn from, whether it's training, whether it's film study, whether it's just the way you go about your work and competitiveness, um, you know, he made me better. Uh, and, and hopefully that I made him better uh, through the course of that. But, um, you know, you're all on the same team. And while everybody is competing to try to get on the field at the end of the day, uh, who's ever out there, you're doing the best to help and support. Drew got things going his junior season after an injury, missing part of his junior year. But remember, he had already been drafted by the Yankees and was with their minor league system. way back when, but said he did not want the stress and strain on his arm, moved over to third base, and folks, that was a bullet of 25 yards. Well, you hear words like this, sensation, he's a phenom. This is what they've seen in practice, a rope of 25 yards right on the numbers to the receiver. Knight doesn't even have to think about anything, but how hard that ball is going to hit him in the chest. Okay, so then let's get to your year now, junior year, 2000. Right. Um, and you don't start right away at the beginning of the season, John Navarre. So was that was that a battle thing or was that an injury? You're going to have to remind me on that one. Uh, it was an injury. Yeah. Uh, it was the Saturday before our first game, and uh, and I was planting on a bootleg, and I, I broke my foot Okay, uh, seven days before the first start. So I had a screw put in. I uh, missed about four weeks. So it was the middle of the fourth game uh, that I was you know cleared to play. Uh, that was at Illinois. Okay, so then yeah, uh, finished the eight starts. Yes, right. Yeah, you end up like putting up great numbers. Uh, everyone's really excited, and then mm-hmm. just so we we keep the timeline going here, you're traded as since were you traded to Cincinnati from the Yankees organization before you had started that fall? I was okay. All right, so so now you're with the Reds. <laughs> And now no no one's like, so then you get traded back to the Yankees. So if you can help me understand it, give me the timeline of events from where now you're in the Reds organization, you have this great junior right. season, everybody wants you back on campus, you're telling everybody you're coming back to campus, and then the Yankees step back up to the plate. Yeah, so uh, before my junior year, I'd spend my two years, you know, put my time in getting ready to start, and I was in double A uh, at 20 years old, and uh, Mr. Steinbrenner of the Yankees approached myself and my agent, uh, basically saying, would you be open to, you know, signing a full-time contract right now, being a Yankee for life, blah, 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 uh, and not going back for my junior year, my starting year. And at that time I said, no, you know, I've, I've put my time in, I'm ready to lead this team, see what I can do and have this experience, which I said from beginning from high school that, I'm um, going to Michigan to play quarterback. Uh, I love baseball and I think I want to do that long-term, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do this. So, uh, with that being said, they decided to trade me to Cincinnati for Denny Nagel and a couple other guys. And I spent a couple weeks uh, with the Reds organization before I uh, went back uh, to Ann Arbor in August to get ready for the season. Uh, 
uh, come the end of the season, you know, I had a decision to make. Do you want to enter the draft? Do you want to come back to your senior year? Uh, and then there are rumblings that the Yankees would be open to trading back for me and possibly give me a major league deal. Um, the timeline then, you know, I, I decided I wasn't going to enter the draft. I needed another season uh, at the same time waiting to see if this baseball thing was going to develop. So uh, when that happened in March, uh, they traded back for me and they were able to uh, figure out a contract. And that's when I left school. More with Drew Henson in a moment, but did you know that not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? That was news to me. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients, so they put an ingredients label right on their packaging. Bud Light, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. No corn syrup, no preservatives, and no artificial flavors. Find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly. A.B. Bud Light Beer. St. Louis, Missouri. And a reminder, when you're constantly on the go, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. That's why you'll love getting a new box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month. Experience quality and unique products at boxofawesome.com. I like Bespoke Post because it's kind of like a gift for yourself, but it's even better if you're doing it for somebody else. You can do it for both. I mean, it's one of those things you're like, all right, maybe I'm not going to be too selfish about this. But to get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for your style and that's kind of the greatest thing about it is there's stuff out there that you might like that you don't even know about and box of awesome hooks you up with it each box costs less than 50 bucks but has more than 70 dollars worth of unique gear waiting inside the first of each month you receive an email with your box details you can have five days to make changes or if you're not feeling that month's box then simply skip it from barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars weekender bags to classy dop kits Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter the code DUAL at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code DUAL, D-U-A-L, for 20% off your first box. Bespoke Post, themed boxes for guys that give a damn. So then we get to the baseball part of this. Now you're, you're full-time with the Yankees here, and it's three years of AAA, 71 games, 128 games, 133 games. When did it when did it start to get to the point where you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna be good enough? Well, uh, you know, looking back and especially being in baseball, uh, on the other side of it, As you know, a scout, I was only twenty three right. in my last baseball season. Uh and and in my own mind, you know, not being an established major league guy with a twenty two, twenty three, you know, you feel like you're behind the curve or, or you're you're falling behind the, the progression and uh and that really wasn't the case. You know, I was a twenty one year old in triple a with, you know, minimum at bats for, for my age and my experience. Uh, and then I break my hand as soon as I get to the Yankees and miss my first half of the season. But, uh, by that 2003, as my at bats my, and my development continued, I, I wasn't as far away as I thought. Uh, and I, looking back, you know, my strike zone discipline, it had proved my walks had gone up. My, um, my overall, I guess, feelings at the plate were developing and maturing. So, uh, you know, I was close. I, I think that next year would have been the one that got over the hump. But uh, again, you're in your 20s. You have you have different options, and uh, you know, I just got frustrated and, and lost patience with myself. And that's one thing that, uh, looking back, I, I wish I'd give myself a better chance on that end. Okay, so the end of 0203, you're, you're called up for those, and I want to get to that. You know, little right. brief, you know, September call up. Was it eight games with the Yankees in, in total? I think yeah. Was, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, when you get called up and the team's a contender, you don't play a whole lot. No, no doubt. They mix in the the young guys uh, then, yeah. So Houston had taken you in the sixth round in 2003 of the NFL draft, and I 
from what I went back and read, it was almost these rumblings to, okay, you know, would he, would he be interested? So are you telling me now, I mean, it sounds like a lot of us, when you get older, you think back and be like, man, I wish I could have given myself this advice or just spend a little bit more patient. Now yeah. you understanding it, working for the Yankees and front all this stuff. But like what then propelled you other than impatience to go, you know what, let's get some feelers out here about returning to football and going to the NFL. How did that come about? Well, uh, before before uh, I left to play football, you know, Charlie Casserly and the Texans were, were an expansion team, and they were getting ready for their 2002 draft. Um, and I had, I had met with Charlie and talked with him a little bit uh, after my junior year. Uh, and so he had done some background on me and, and had begun to, uh, to study me a little bit. So come three years later, when the Houstons were picking after my what would have been my fifth year in football, uh, I think that he had more reports on me probably than anyone had. And, and took that flyer that uh, if they could take me late and then trade me for a higher pick, you know, on there, and that's that's a positive. Uh, and I really hadn't considered football. I mean, I was full-go baseball um, all the time until, you know, people start asking you questions and questions and questions. And, uh, you know, I never had any I had never had any idea that, I, that I'd end up leaving until later. And, you know, the frustration kind of built, and you see other people that you know uh, you're at least as good as uh, having success on the other end. And... You know, I'd never, I'd never struggled in football either, and it was just vision over the course of my last year uh, what was going to make me happy. And that time, I thought it was going to be the, you know, to bounce back to football and give that a go. So then, Jerry Jones gets involved. What's the yeah. first thing he said to you? Because then he traded a third rounder for you to Houston, who had drafted right. you in the sixth round. So how did that conversation mm-hmm. first start? Well, you know, Jerry is, a, he, you know, he's a gambler and he's not afraid to take some chances. And uh, you know, when you're a competitive team, it. it it's tough to identify the quarterback prospects if you're not drafting high. So he, you know, in his, uh, in his opinion, it was a gamble worth, worth taking of, of trading a three for me and seeing if, you know, my college shape and what I was as a college player was going to translate uh, and develop. And, and he was great from the start. There was only uh, two or three teams that when it came down to it, that, that really had offers for Houston and then um, Jerry and the Cowboys had the best offer and uh, we're able to work something out too. But um you know, Jerry, he talked to Yankee guys, and he did his background on me and everything, and um, he's, he was great, and he always has been great. So it's actually going to happen. Drew Henson's going to get to become a pro quarterback much longer or later than many thought, despite the distraction of baseball, but it was all really quick. So 2004, you come in your first action against Baltimore, you guys are losing and I remember working at the time and you go, wait a minute, he came in and went six for six. Uh, and again, it, it was, it was spot duty there, but give me that, that feeling in that first NFL game. You've gone through this incredible journey and then you're out there, you complete a bunch of passes. How nervous were you scared? Like, give me how you felt that day. Uh, I felt great. Uh, you know, after the game, you, you come in with, with eight minutes left and, uh, you find yourself looking across Ray Lewis and Ed Reed right down the middle. Were they saying uh, anything to you? No, no. Uh, but but you catch yourself as you're trotting out in the field, realizing the situation you're at. And then you get in the huddle and then you take a couple of snaps and it's back to playing football. But uh, just to, to understand that, you know, the September before I was playing third base uh, for the Yankees when David Wells gets his 200th win. And 13 months later, um, you know, I'm lining up under center for the Cowboys playing against Ray Lewis, that and those guys. So uh, it was a wild 12 months. Uh, and, and by then, you know, I wasn't sure where things were going to lead, but, uh, no, I felt great and then, you know, came back on that short week uh, on the Thanksgiving game and, you know, ended up playing the first half. We were tied 7-7 and they decided to uh, to put Vinny back in. 
Yeah, so you started that next game um, against mm-hmm. the Bears. and The Bears, yeah. We still wait for the first throw from Drew Henson, who is six for six, for taking over for the injured Vinny Testaverde last week at Baltimore. Play action, and here is that first throw, maybe. Henson lets it go, and he finds Quincy Morgan. And Morgan finds a first down and a gain of 13 yards. Doing and talking about Drew Henson and what he does well. He really has great mobility. He moves very well, not only within the pocket, but also once he's able to get out on the perimeter. In fact, some of the coaches feel that he's a better passer on the move than what he is from within the pocket. So therefore, you come into this game, you want to run some bootlegs, you want to get him flushed out on some rollout type things. We see the accuracy that he has right there, putting it on Quincy Morgan. For more, as we await the start of the second half, let's go down to Pam Oliver. Hey, Joe, some big news from the Dallas Cowboys. Bill Parcells told me at halftime he's seen about enough of Drew Henson in his rookie debut. He said the kid did some nice things, but he needs to go with the quarterback who gives him the best chance to win the ball game. And so Vinny Testaverde will start the second half for the Dallas Cowboys, back shoulder and all. Back to you. And that was it. I mean, that was it. How, how did that happen? How did it go from, okay, we're starting you next week, and then... You're just, that was it. That was the end of your Cowboys career. You know, yeah, your, uh, your guess is as good as mine. You know, I, will, I would love to have had more than an opportunity. Um, you know, you get one half, you get 12 snaps. It was four for 12. I had a couple, uh, had a pick, but, you know, offense wasn't really in sync, but, you know, didn't make any major mistakes. And then, uh, then he came back in the game, ended up uh, starting for a few more games, and Tony and I were flopping back and forth between the two and the three. Um, and then come the next season, they decided to go with Tony for the two, and I didn't see a whole lot of game stats. So it doesn't sound like you're happy about that. Uh, what, how did it? <laughs> well, you know, any 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 guy would love to, of course, no, I get have it. an opportunity to show what he can do. Okay, um, but and, then, and that was kind of my window, and then he kind of comes and goes, and and you look back, you're like, geez, that was that was fast. So then, so then what happens after that? How does the exit from Dallas happen? Uh, in 2006, uh, you know, they had decided that Tony was going to be their guy going forward, and uh, Bledsoe was there, and they decided to carry two quarterbacks on the roster. And you hadn't played in a while, three. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you hadn't no, played. I, since... I had gone to NFL Europe uh, to get snaps. I spent the spring there, played in nine games, because uh, it's been so long since I've had actual game reps, uh, probably three or four years. So I did that, uh, and I was starting to feel better, you know, I, you know throwing a football for nine months and, and jumping right into an NFL training camp. I didn't kind of feel like my old self until essentially after I left the Cowboys, you know, with a couple off seasons and, you know, mechanically and everything, uh, was starting to feel like it had before, but, uh, you know, they went the direction they did. And then, uh, then I moved on to Minnesota and eventually Detroit before it was done. So you played a couple games in 2008. I mean, you get in mm-hmm. to really, I, I yeah, guess I got in. that was the own 16 season. Uh, and it was kind of a quarterback shuffle, whoever healthy that weekend. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of blowouts. So I, I did get a few snaps at the end of the season, and they uh, they drafted Matt Stafford number one that next spring, and uh, and they they let me go, and and that was that. So how were you how were you able at that point in two thousand eight to go? All right, I'm done with all this. Well, yeah, when they when they stopped calling you back, you know, I kind of knew that that uh, that was probably it, and uh, you know, I was twenty nine years old, and, and it was the end of the run, and uh, it's something I never would have thought, you know, before thirty that would be the case, but. But it was, and then, you know, after that, it's been like, well, you know, what am I going to do for this next chapter of my life? Uh, which every athlete, you know, regardless of when you finish playing, uh, faces when they're done. How long did it take to get over all of it? 
Uh, a couple years, probably. Um, you know, especially as you, you still have teammates that are playing, uh, and you still feel like physically and mentally that uh, that you could do the job. But uh, you know, there's always more you know, more guys coming in, younger guys, cheaper guys, uh, and that's the nature of the league. I mean, you're going to get probably one one opportunity, and after that, you you know, you need a couple of breaks to uh, to get that chance again. And despite it not being the end of the story, he's out of football. He had been long done with baseball. He at least had that one major league hit. Drew Henson grounds one up the middle, and that is going to be through for a base hit. And Drew Henson has his first big league base hit. And they'll get the ball for him. To be called up and get that one hit. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't even care. Maybe you don't even think about it. I think for me, and I'm just talking as a guy, like, despite the disappointment, that would mean so much to me to have that one underneath the H column when I go on a pro baseball reference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the ball in my office. I had the ball for my touchdown pass. Um, you know, all things considered, if you'd asked me when I was 10 years old, if you get the chance to play in the major leagues on the NFL, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. Um, you know, the, uh, the thing I take away from my, my career is the experiences I had uh, that no one else has had the chance to, to, to have a relationship with Bo Schembechler, George Steinbrenner, Jerry Jones, um, to be part of these iconic organizations and franchises, uh, and the people you meet along the way, the teammates that I've had. I mean, I have, I have Hall of Fame teammates from college. I have Hall of Fame teammates from baseball and Hall of Fame teammates from football. Uh, I've got to see some of the greatest athletes in the world do their thing on a daily basis. Uh, and and that, those things are, the, are what I take and as I move forward with my professional career that I can lean on and, and, and give to the next generation of athletes or, or organizations uh, wherever that may lead. So is there any specific thing, kind of, I think the purpose of kind of this four-part thing that we're doing with quarterbacks is just, you know, what happened. And it sounds like you wish you had had more patience at Michigan. It sounds like you maybe you had more patience in baseball. I mean, there's all these expectations on you. I remember reading about you. I mean, we're almost the same age, you know, maybe a year or two older than you. Yeah. Uh, looking back on it, like if you could just sum it up in, in a few sentences, like why do you think it didn't work out ultimately? I, I think that when you get to the highest level and you spread yourself thin with, uh, with reps and, and time, that I was playing catch-up the whole time, whether it was trying to get me a bat uh, under my belt, develop my strike zone discipline, or uh, being away for three years and trying to get uh, back to my old self mechanically. Uh, my windows of opportunity, uh, I, didn't, you know, I don't think I gave myself the best chance because I was constantly playing catch-up or behind the curve. Uh, and and that's, what, that's what I think, in my own mind, uh, it cost me the boat. Hey, Drew, I really appreciate this, man, and uh, thanks so much for your time. Right. Thank you, Ryan. So that's part one of the backup quarterback stories for the Ringers Dual Threat podcast. I don't want to name everybody else that is sort of signed on to this, but we have uh, we have more than we thought we were going to have. So right now is part one. Please subscribe. Make sure you stay with all of our offseason content and part two of the backup QB stories from Dual Threat. Thanks a lot.